0: Hello and welcome to the Midtown Fellowship Sermon Podcast. It's great to have you with us. You're joining us in the middle of our Be Curious sermon series, where together as a community, we're exploring scripture with a curious heart To learn more about Jesus to learn more about his word for us and even to learn more about ourselves it's a beautiful thing when we come together as a community and realize that our questions don't keep us away from God it actually draws us closer to him hey if you'd like to learn more about who we are you can go to our website midtownfellowship.org and if you'd like to join us we'd love to see you on Sunday morning amen have a seat hey good morning everybody If you have a Bible, go ahead and turn to John chapter 4. We're in a uh, series because that's what churches do. We go into series. Y'all awake this morning? Y'all wish you were on spring break, all right? And we're in a series on trying to be curious about passages of Scripture that maybe you've heard before, but trying to unpack them a little bit more and uh, learn more about ourselves, learn more about this community, and even learn more about the Lord, So I think Courtney is reading for us today. Where are you? Hey, Courtney. Guys, welcome, Courtney. So thank you for reading because uh, we're reading the entire Bible this morning. No, we're in John chapter 4, and we're starting in verse 3. And I'm going to warn you, Courtney, I'm going to interrupt you, okay? Um, Sorry. Just thank you. you. You don't see the microphone there? I don't see it. Where is it? Oh, there it is right in front of you. There it is. Boom. It's hiding. Let me help you. There you go.
1: So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria.
0: Okay, let's stop there just for a second. Because this is really important. You see what it just said? It's talking about Jesus. He had to go through Samaria. Now, what we're about to do is we're about to hear the story of Jesus uh, encountering a woman at the well. And it wasn't just any woman. This, this woman was a Samaritan, okay? Oh. She was happy. And when it says that Jesus had to go through Samaria, that's actually giving us a huge clue about what's going on in this passage because Jews didn't go through Samaria. In fact, when Jews had to travel to where was he going? To Galilee, Galilee then they actually went around Samaria because Jews did not interact with Samaritans. In fact, if a Jew actually interacted with a Samaritan and touched them, they considered that Jew ceremonially unclean and couldn't go into the temple. That that Jesus wasn't just happening to go through this place. Jesus is actually traveling all the way just to find this woman. And where is he traveling from? From eternity, before the creation of the world. Look at this. This is in verse 23. She's going to read it just a minute. Spoiler alert. It says, a time is coming. This is Jesus saying, a time is coming and has come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. So I want you to put up this lens. This whole story is about Jesus traveling through eternity. Seeking this woman, not the world, this woman. And he's seeking a worshiper. And I want you to be shocked by that, that he's seeking a Samaritan, that he's seeking someone that the Jews would not even consider someone who is redeemable. But he's also seeking a woman who is a relational train wreck. Like we're about to read about this. Her love life is a mess. And she, in every way, personally, we would think, disqualifies her from the Father seeking her as a worshiper. Because if you were God and you were looking for worshipers, who would you look for? You'd probably look for that person in the church that puts their hands up during worship, you know? Somebody who closes their eyes because they know all the words of the songs. Like, somebody who's really committed to this place and, like, you're a good churchgoer. Like, dude, dang, you are a good worshiper. And yet, what is Jesus looking for? He's looking for the outcasts, the disenfranchised, the people that we disqualify, the person that never got picked for the kickball team. That seems to be who Jesus is looking for. I want you to see that, and I, w- I want you to know that as you hear the rest of the story. You with me? Are you all awake this morning? Okay, thank you. Wow. We are the church. We don't go to church. This isn't a show, all right? We're all here trying to get what the Lord has for us. So let's see what he has. Courtney, thank you. Sure.
1: Yeah. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon.
0: Now that's important. Just to underline that. It was a what time was it? Noon. Okay, good. Keep going.
1: When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her. The fact is, you have had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What, what you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will, worsh- when you will worship The Father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and now... Sorry. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the spirit and in the truth, so that they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah, called Christ, is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he.
0: Thank you, Courtney. Yes, I know, so many verses to read through. You're so kind. So... What is this passage all about? I mean, it's a long story. What's going on here that Jesus is traveling, you know, from all of eternity to find this woman, and he gets to the well, and, you know, there's nobody else around. It's just the two of them, and he goes, hey, can you give me a drink of water? And she looks at him and says, well, you're a Jew. Like, what do you really want? And he goes, you know, and then Jesus does that thing that Messiah does, you know, he kind of flips it and he says, if you knew who I was, then you would ask me and I would give you living water. And now she's completely confused and she goes, living water, that sounds pretty good. I don't ever have to come to this well again. Why would she never want to come to this well again? We'll get to that. But then she goes, give it to me. And he goes, go get your husband. And she goes, well, I don't have a husband. And then, boom, right there, Jesus says, right, gotcha. You did five. And now you're living with a dude, and you're not even married to him. And what does she do? Uh Uh-oh. I'm caught. You must be a prophet. Change subject. Hey, let's talk about worship. (laughs) And Jesus goes, perfect. That's the whole reason I'm here. Let's talk about worship. And here's what's crazy. There's so much in this story we're not gonna to get to, and for the, you theologians, please be gracious to me, okay? This is the first person Jesus ever clearly says, I am the Messiah, to, to a woman who is a relational train wreck. And so what is going on here? Why is this story in the Bible? Well, let's try to get our head around this. This woman had a life, all right? Just like you have a life. And if you're gonna live life, there are going to be things that happen in that life that you hadn't planned on. In fact, there are going to be things that happen in that life, your life, that you're ashamed of. There are going to be things that you've done that you're ashamed that you've done. And there are going to be things that have been done to you that you're ashamed that have been done to you. And all of a sudden, boom, shame becomes a part of our lives. And when shame, toxic shame, we're not talking about the kind of shame that when I back over my neighbor's, you know, bushes intentionally, I should feel guilty about that. Maybe, all right? But we're talking about the kind of, we'll get to shame in just a minute, all right? But when I don't deal with shame, it creates fear. And when I don't understand what fear is, and fear begins to control my life, I hide. And when I hide, here's what shame does when I hide. Shame gets a voice, and it starts telling me a new story, and there is a new story being spoken over the rest of my life, and this cycle continues. So let's try to unpack a little bit. So shame, we all know what shame is, because we've all experienced shame, unless you're a sociopath and a serial killer, and if you're here, would you please just raise your hands so we all know who you are? <laughs> We're not going to lunch with you, all right? Unless you're paying, of course. Um <laughs> We all know shame. We all know that feeling, that ache inside of us, that ache when we feel like that there's something profoundly wrong with me that's not wrong with everybody else, where it feels like everybody else got some kind of dose of the ghost, but I I didn't. Like, I, I got left out in the story where we feel like we're not enough. We feel like that there's something, that I haven't done something wrong, but I am something wrong, that I'm not good enough, that I'm not smart enough, I'm not strong enough, I'm not good looking enough. I'm not rich enough. Whatever. We we have this thing inside of us that continually is producing shame and whispering in our ear, something's wrong with you. And when we start listening to that, we look for comparisons and we look for evidence for that story all the time. A couple of years ago, there is a CrossFit uh, gym here in Nashville called Iron Tribe. Have Anybody ever done it? None of you. You don't ever work out. All right, there's two of you. All right, God bless you. All right, next week we're all gonna get in shape. I promise. And uh, we had all the instructors that were coming we had a whole row of just muscle. It was just like, they, they, didn't, even, they didn't have personalities. They just had muscle, all right? And they came to me and said, you need to come. Come on, come to one class. And so they talked to me and going to class. And I came and I showed up. And you walk in and the music's pumping. And then the instructor comes jumping out. Hey, so glad you're here. And the energy is up. And and so there's a class. Everybody's around. And the instructor goes, okay, we're going to start by running a half mile. I'm like, okay, could have done that at home. But let's go. And so we take off. And immediately, as soon as we come running out of the gym, I'm looking around. I'm going who's really in this class? You know, and what I'm really saying is, who's my competition? And I, you know, I discounted all the 20 year olds. Cause I'm like, you know, what do y'all know? All right. Y'all are, tw- you're young, you're strong. I'm really looking for my tribe. I'm looking for, you know, a good competition. And there was a guy in there that's about my age and he was about a hundred yards in front of me and flying. And I'm like, oh, no, I'm going to catch you. I swear I'm going to catch you. And we came back into the gym, and, you know, we're throwing around kettlebells, and we're picking each other up. I don't know. We were doing crazy stuff. But I'm not kidding you. I am constantly looking at that guy. And when I left, can I be honest with you? I left saying, I don't ever want to come back here again. You know why? He beat me. I left feeling shame about my fitness because I was comparing myself to another human being that an hour earlier I didn't even know they existed on this planet. How is that possible? Well, let me let me tell you how it's possible, and you know how it's possible because you do it too. You do it. Do you know that when we go to Genesis and Adam and Eve were walking in the garden with God and sin had not entered the world and there was per- perfection? And we call that paradise. Do you know the only way God to describe it? Listen to this. He said they were naked and what? Unashamed. Unashamed. The only way that he could describe paradise is a place where there is no shame. So when sin entered into the world, what entered into the world? Shame. Shame entered into the world. And you've heard... My shame stories, I mean, you hear them probably every week, you know, that I didn't get picked for the team or the teacher that embarrassed me in ninth grade and told the whole class I was stupid or, you know, or wearing the wrong thing on the first day of seminary. You've got your stories too. But I'm not talking about that kind of shame. I'm talking about the narrative that if we ask you to share that part of your life with anybody, you would immediately feel anxiety about sharing these stories because to share this story was, is to really risk being seen. You know what I'm talking about? Those stories about your life that nobody knows or very few people know. Those stories that if you really were to tell them, you would feel tremendous stress. Like if we knew how much you really envied other people. Like really. Like if we knew how much you compared yourself to other people. Like really how much you compared yourself. Or if we really knew how much you hated. Like if we knew how much you hated people. Even the shame, and I've talked to parents about this, the feeling sometimes they have when they, when they feel horrible because they hate their kids. That kind of hate or jealousy. If we really knew how much jealousy consumed you, or greed, if we really knew what a thief you were, how much you steal, or how much you cheat, if we really knew how much you lied, that's the shame I'm talking about. That part of you that says nobody can ever see that because there's no way anybody could see that and ever care about me. That is impossible. Well, this woman in the story, the gig was up for her. There was no hiding. Everybody knew that she'd been married five times. Everybody knew that she was living with a guy, which was a social taboo. It was a small village. Everybody knew what was going on. And because she knew, everybody knew her shame, she had given herself to a life of fear. How do we know that? Well, she's there at noon. Remember, we stopped the story. Noon. Why is that so important? Well, in that time, any there wasn't running water in the village. If you wanted water for cooking, for cleaning, for drinking, for anything that you use water for, you had to go to the well and get it. And you didn't go in the middle of the day. You went at the beginning of the day. In the cool of the morning, where you're carrying these cisterns back to the house for a whole day of use. But when you go to the well at the beginning of the day, you go there with everybody else. She wasn't going to the well to get water at noon. She was going there to hide from everybody that goes there in the morning. You know, when you are afraid, we don't have time this morning to go into the fight or flight syndrome. You know, when we get afraid, we want to fight or we want to run. But when shame produces fear for me and I run, I actually hide. That's what this woman is doing in the story. She's hiding. She's got her high noon well hiding where she's going to the well at high noon. And I just want to make her normal, okay? I want to make her normal because you do the same thing. But do you know how you hide? How do you hide your shame? How do you do it? Some of you hide your shame with success. There is nothing sexier than hiding shame with success. Like, seriously, when you have success, nobody really looks any deeper than your success, when your resume is impeccable, when your achievements are unbelievable, when the world step back and go, hmm, wow, did you see who just walked into the door? It covers a multitude of shame. Or some of you like to cover your shame with fitness because you're still that Iron Tribe, the three of you that actually work out in this room. <laughs> that may be how you cover your shame. Some of you may cover your shame with work, that you literally take pride in the fact that you work 80 hours a week, that, that that's... That's the shield that you put in front of you. It's the mask that you put on so when the world looks at you, it doesn't see your shame. It doesn't see your fear. It just sees how accomplished you are in the workplace. Some of you, you cover up your shame with all kinds of things. One of which, and this is so Nashville, church. Like, think about it. Okay, I'm going to let you know a little secret. When Jesus came to the world and We have all these records. The people he came after were notorious sinners. Like they were horrible. Like these were people that were doing gross things. These were people that were guilty of adultery. They were people that were guilty of murder. These were people that were prostitutes. Like the whole fringe of society, Jesus came and gathered them together and called them his brothers and sisters and redeemed them and brought them into the church. It was a mess. It was midnight jailers. It was carpenters. It was fishermen. It was just this hodgepodge. So how is it this messy community in the New Testament now has become church is the most respectable place in the world. Like we take showers before we go to church. And church becomes the last place where we want to get brutally vulnerable about the shame that we carry. How did we get here? Can we undo it? Yes. But here's the crazy thing that when shame leads to fear and fear leads to hiding, hiding tells a new story. Let me try to explain. So I have a friend of mine who, her life, her dad did not love her. And it's just true. He was a train wreck. And the way that train wreck reflected itself in her life is she grew up in a home where her father did not love her. And what that did in her was it created a lot of shame. Because she started wondering, what's wrong with me that my father would not love me? I mean, what's happening in my life that... I am so broken that my dad can't love me. And this created fear in her life. And the fear was that if other people see that brokenness in me, they're not going to love me. And so she began to hide. And you know how she hid? She didn't let anybody love her. She took a huge step back from relationships. And she just kept everybody like, you know, just far enough to where they would never see this. And when she began to hide... Here was the story that got whispered over her life. Nobody will ever love you. And if they say they do, what are they doing? They're lying. They just want something. Imagine what kind of life that creates. That the people that draw near to you to love you are a bunch of manipulative deceivers. What kind of life would that create? Boy, this hiding place has a lot of whispers. Another friend of mine, his story is that when he was 12 years old, he was exposed to pornography. And he was so drawn to it that it really became a huge part of his life. But he knew, even as a young adolescent, this was wrong. And so it created all this shame that he was drawn to something that was so taboo. And being drawn to that, it created fear. And what was the fear? Somebody's going to find out. And so what did he do? He doubled down and he hid. And here's the crazy thing about his hiding. The only place, the only thing that gave him comfort in his hiding was what? Pornography. As Chris Stapleton says in his song, I drink because I'm lonely, I'm lonely because I drink. Yeah, write that down. You can figure that out later, it's <laughs> profound. The only way I know intimacy through my shame and I'm afraid that somebody's gonna find out and here was the story that his hiding began to speak over his life the only comfort from my life is the very thing that's destroying me what do you think her message was the woman at the well what do you think it was what do you think her hiding was saying over her you think it was saying, nobody really wants me. Because we don't know, in that day, she's been married five times, did all five of her husbands die? We don't know. Did they all divorce her? We don't know. We know culturally, she, a woman in that time, did not have the power in culture to divorce. Only the husband had the power to put a woman away. And the reasons were very liberal in that time, so men could have put her away for a number of reasons. And how is it that she's in, who's she living with now? Is this the uncle of one of her ex-husbands or a brother-in-law? Like, we don't know. We just know that whatever the story is, it is a shame story for her. Maybe it's a shame that every one of her marriages failed. Maybe it's a shame that every one of her husbands died. And maybe she feels it's her fault, you know? We don't know. Or is it possible that she cheated on all five of her husbands and she has a sexual addiction, and it's expressing itself, and now publicly she has destroyed every relationship in her life? I don't know. Here's what I do know. She's hiding at the well at noon, and here's the message. Nobody's looking for me. Except for what? Before the creation of the world. We have to go through Samaria. Why? Because she's there. And here's what I want you to see. Jesus could have entered her life anywhere, but he's the one that says, go get your husband. He pressed into this place right here. Jesus did. Why wasn't he a good Presbyterian and pretend like she was okay? (laughs) Why is he pressing into the most wounded, broken, shame-filled place of her life? This is where it's so good. See, Shame lies to us. Shame lies to us and says, if, if you let people see this part of you, if you let people know this part of you, everybody's gonna leave. And so shame says you have to withdraw, that, that you have to hide, that you have to let vulnerability be something that you let out a little bit. Like, you can't be fully open with your life. And so shame lies to us to where we become afraid that the more people know, the more they're going to withdraw. And so I'm going to hide first. And what does Jesus say? You don't know love unless you're fully known. And my, my greatest fear is this, is also my greatest desire. What is my greatest desire? That someone would fully know me and fully love me. Shame said that's impossible. But Jesus said he is looking for worshipers who worship in spirit and in truth. And what is spirit and truth? Well, Ephesians chapter 2 gives a little picture of that. It says, this is Paul. He says, like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. In other words, we have made a mess of our lives. We've done enough to be shameful. We've done enough to be afraid. And we are all professionals at hiding. But, this is the biggest butt in the Bible, it's awesome, but because of his great love for you, God, who is rich in mercy, came into this and made us alive. He made us alive in Christ Jesus, even when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace that you have been saved, and God raised us up with Christ and seated with him. In seated us with him in the heavenly realms with Christ Jesus in order that in the coming age, he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. In other words, the place that you feel like is the most unqualified to receive grace, Jesus says, oh, look out, here it comes. And he pours his grace he pours his forgiveness. He pours his acceptance. He pours his love. And listen to this. Not only does he pour all these things in our lives and loves us in a way that we never thought was possible. It's says this. And he raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms. What does that mean? Not only did he love me, but now he seated me right next to him. I don't know what that means to you, but it's like Jesus is like, I don't just love her. I'm so immensely proud of her. What a beautiful recipient of grace. Do y'all see what I see? I know she's made a wreck of her life. I know that she's got shame and that fear has caused her to hide. But no more. Look at her. Behold the beauty of the Samaritan woman at the well. Because my grace has been poured on her. And let me tell you, when we say to Jesus, okay, game over, come on in. No more shame hiding. I'm I'm ready. You bring grace and let grace heal me. It is going to mess you up. I swear, it's going to change. It's going to turn everything upside down. Because look, Courtney didn't read this, but look at verse 26. Then leaving her water jars, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, who was she hiding from? The people. Where? From that town. She dropped her water and ran back to the very people she was afraid of and was hiding from, and she ran into their lives and said, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? (laughs) Have you ever seen it? Somebody who's finally come out of shame, and now they can't quit talking about it? Have you ever been to an AA meeting? Ever been to an essay meeting? Have you ever seen someone who says, my shame now has been turned into glory. For I know that I am loved and I have been set free. I want you to know that if you've never experienced that Jesus is here for you this morning. The same Jesus that went searching for this messy woman is the same. Jesus that's looking for you at your noonday. Well, it's the same Jesus that's willing to pour out that kind of grace, that kind of unbelievable mercy, the same Jesus that wants to lift you up to sit next to him with such pride that he wants to pour into this place and set you free. He's here today. And that's why this story is so powerful because we're all like the woman at the well. And Jesus came and met her, that means he's looking for you too, the God who seeks. And if you let him come in, let me tell you the power of it. In Revelation chapter 12, it says, we overcome the enemy, the devil, the darkness, the evil of this world. We overcome it by two things, the blood of the lamb, which Christ went to the cross for us and rose again so that we, through his resurrection, can experience this renewal by grace. But the second thing that is powerful is the testimony of the saints. The blood of the land, the testimony of the saints. That our story, that our shame has now been turned into glory because of the power of grace. God says that is a tool of overcoming darkness because darkness just wants us to hide. And that's why I'd say when I was a kid, I lived in a neighborhood of a bunch of kids, and we had no parental supervision, so every night we were playing hide-and-go-seek or jailbreak or something. I mean, like 30 kids on our street. And have you ever heard the term "ali, ali, Oxenfree? I don't think anybody knows where it really came from, but it's, it's when the seeker says, I'm tired of looking, and I'm just done. Somebody else has got to be it. Ali Ali Oxen Free. Like, come on out. You are the best at hiding. Nobody can find you. And when that is yelled, that's when everybody convened back at the fire hydrant in front of my house. This morning, I want you to know that Jesus is crying out Ali Ali Oxen Free. You're too good at hiding. Why don't you let yourself be caught today? Why don't you let Him come in? to the shame story so that for the first time in your life you understand what a gift this is and not what a curse it is and you stop hiding and live a new story over your life let's pray father um jesus how good are you that you would come and seek worshipers and that you take the most disqualified and because of your work on the cross and because of your grace, you change us from being shame monsters to being grace monsters. From hiding and fear and shame to now living our lives um, openly displaying your kindness and your goodness to us. It is true, Lord, that we're a lot worse than we think we are. But it's also true that we are more loved than we can possibly imagine. Let us taste some of that this morning. And would you come, Lord, and lead us to a place where we will let you now pour your grace into our shame. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.